Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a series of programs on the subject of Hanukkah, the Feast of Dedication, and today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcast. Now, in the previous broadcast, I was explaining the revolt of 167 B.C., I was explaining that this was not a revolt or a revolution that was inspired by the Jews there in Jerusalem. They were not fighting Antiochus IV and his army for the purpose of independence. That's not what was taking place. There are many historians who have suggested that this was the case, but I'm explaining to you right now that this simply was not the case. This was a conflict between the former high priest known as Jason, and his brother, who was the current high priest, whose name was Menelaus. What happened was that Jason had heard a rumor that Antiochus IV was possibly dead because his army was returning from an invasion that they were pursuing. They were going to attack Egypt to assert authority over Ptolemy of Egypt. But Rome sent an ambassador to Antiochus IV while he was traveling to attack Egypt, and he told Antiochus IV that Rome was not in favor of this invasion. He drew a circle around Antiochus IV and told him that he would have to make a decision with regards to whether he was going to proceed with the invasion or if he was going to withdraw from the invasion before he left that circle. And this is where the expression drawing a line in the sand came from. It came from this circumstance. Antiochus IV decided to withdraw his invasion, and because of this withdrawal, there was a rumor that Antiochus IV was dead, and so his army was returning in order to regroup, a new king would be established, and decisions would be made from there. Jason was in exile with the Ammonites at this time, so he returned to Jerusalem gathered together a small army of about a thousand soldiers and attempted to kill Menelaus, to invade the temple in Jerusalem, kill Menelaus, and then take power there in the temple, asserting himself as the high priest. And of course, the idea behind this is really simple. Whoever the next king would be would then see that Jason was the current high priest and might perhaps recognize Jason as the official high priest from there. So this was a battle between two pagan brothers who really had no interest in Judaism, the things of the temple. They had no interest in the living God. We know that because they were promoting Greek philosophy. They had no interest in the things of God or the law of Moses. They wanted the position of authority. They wanted the influence, the power. They wanted to take a portion of the contributions that were made to the temple. That's what this was about. And so when this revolt took place against the temple, against the high priest Menelaus, it was a revolt that was inspired by his brother Jason, not by the Jewish people in Jerusalem. When Antiochus IV heard about this conflict, he sent his troops to Jerusalem 
to kill anyone who got in their way, go to the temple, set Menelaus free, reestablish Menelaus as the high priest, and they also ransacked the temple and took all of the gold and silver out of the temple and brought it back to Antiochus IV. So this was the real revolt of 167 B.C. Now, when the troops arrived in Jerusalem, they killed approximately 40,000 Jews, and they enslaved an additional 45,000 Jews, approximately. They took about 1,800 talents of gold from the temple. Now, these were not coins or bars. These were the temple artifacts to include the lampstand, the altar of incense, the dishes that they would use for the sacrifices, the gold that was on the walls. They removed all of that gold and took that to Antiochus IV. It totaled about 1,800 talents. They completely desecrated the temple. They sacrificed a pig on the altar, and then they continued to desecrate the rest of the temple with the pig that they had sacrificed. And so the entire temple was completely defiled. Menelaus was reestablished as the high priest, and then the majority of the troops returned to Antiochus IV. Now, I want you to understand that this was not a religious or philosophical battle. This had nothing to do with the Jews not wanting to observe Greek philosophy and the Syrians wanting to impose it on them. It had nothing to do with a religious or philosophical conflict. This was about Antiochus IV resolving the conflict that was between two pagan brothers through war. This was about Antiochus IV obtaining a significant treasure, probably to help compensate for his expenses in trying to invade Egypt, but not being able to proceed with that invasion. Antiochus sent his army in order to destroy Jerusalem, because Jerusalem was effectively destroyed by this invasion. He did this for the purpose of settling the conflict that was taking place attempt to unify the people under his authority and to plunder the temple, to take the gold out of the temple. This was about the money. That's what it was about. Now, Antiochus IV at this time did impose three laws on the Jews at this time. He effectively outlawed Judaism, and he did this by establishing three laws. The first one was that the people were no longer allowed to observe the Sabbath. They were not allowed to observe the dietary laws, which meant that they would have to eat things that were contrary to the dietary laws. And he outlawed circumcision. But please understand that I can find no evidence to suggest that Antiochus IV did this because he hated Judaism or because he wanted to impose Greek philosophy because he personally felt that this was so important that he was willing to exterminate Judaism in order to evangelize his Greek philosophy. I see no evidence for that at all. The evidence that I see suggests that he imposed Greek philosophy and he outlawed Judaism in order to unite the people in his kingdom so that he could reduce the internal conflicts, so that the people would begin to work together more, so that there would be an increase in prosperity in his kingdom. It was not a religious or a philosophical issue. It was about prosperity that would be measured with money. 
I personally believe that Antiochus IV imposed these laws to outlaw Judaism because of the money, because he would be able to increase the prosperity of his kingdom, he would be able to benefit from that, and he would reduce the internal conflicts that were taking place because of other people's religious or philosophical beliefs, not because of his, but because of theirs. So when Antiochus IV imposed these laws to outlaw Judaism, I believe that he did so out of one motive, but that the people resisted out of another motive. The people did not resist these laws because they were concerned that there would be an increase in prosperity. From the Jews' point of view, they resisted these laws because of their religious beliefs not because they were concerned about the internal conflicts or because they were concerned about the lack of prosperity. They resisted because they did not want to offend their God because they wanted to be true to what they believed, that the living God was real, that the law that was given through Moses was given to them to observe, and they were willing to die. They were willing to die before they would go against the living God who to them had given them more than enough evidence to show that he is real. So there were some Jews who resisted. There were many others who did not. Certainly, there were many Jews who chose to abide under the laws that were imposed by Antiochus IV. The punishment was slavery or death, and so they decided to do whatever it took in order to stay alive. But there was one small community, a community called Modin, where the people there decided that they would not abide under the decrees of Antiochus IV, that they would not offend the living God. What happened was that some troops from Antiochus IV went into the town. They went into the town of Modin. They identified who was recognized as the leader of the community. And this person's name was Mattathias, also known as Matityahu. They identified him. They brought him to the center of town. They set up an altar, and they commanded Matityahu to sacrifice a pig on that altar on behalf of the community. He absolutely refused to do that. Matityahu was a man of honor, of integrity, and he was a man who was devoted to the living God. He was the son of a Levitical priest whose name was Yochanan, and he decided that he would refuse to follow the laws that Antiochus IV was wanting to impose. One of the Jews who was in the community instead decided to go to the army and sacrifice the pig on behalf of the people, but Matityahu took his sword and he killed the Jew right there on the altar. And then he proceeded to attack the troops and the people of Modin then followed Matityahu and they waged war against the troops. They defeated the troops, killed them, and the official Jewish revolt began right there. That was where the official Jewish revolt took place. It did not take place in Jerusalem. It took place in the small community of Modin. Now, the men who decided that they would be a part of this battle and that they would wage war against the Assyrians, they left. They left in order to protect the women and children who were there because if they remained there, 
then the Syrians who would come later would come and they would just simply kill everybody. And so the men decided to leave, go out into the wilderness, and they made the decision that they would wage war until they were dead or until they were able to set the Jewish people free. That was the decision that was made. Now, Matit Yahu died about a year later, and his son, Judah, took the leadership role at that point, and he was known as Judah Maccabee, or Judas Maccabeus. The word Maccabee is actually an acronym, though. It's not a last name. It's an acronym. It comes from a phrase that they used in order to encourage each other. The phrase was, Michamocha Baalim Hashem, which meant, Who is like you in the Lord's name? And so they took the first three words of this phrase, Michamocha Baalim, and they took the first letters of each word and they assembled them together in an acronym that formed the word Machab, and they became known as the Maccabeans from that point forward. And so this is where the word Maccabee or Maccabean comes from, and then this word is what we use in order to describe the Maccabean Wars. Now, the war continued for several years until 164 B.C., but this was a unique war in the sense that it was not ended or it was not resolved by one army simply being wiped out or one side just simply getting tired of fighting. This war was resolved by the living God himself. He resolved it by killing Antiochus IV himself. He gave Antiochus IV a disease in his bowels, and it was so severe that Antiochus recognized that it was the living God who was passing judgment against him, and it was through this event that Antiochus IV decided to end the war and to declare that the Jews were an independent people from that point forward. Independent to the extent that his son was going to take power, he asked the Jews to recognize his son and have some loyalty towards his son, but he asked them to do that with the understanding that whatever they wanted, his son was going to allow them to do. And so a new relationship was going to be established, but it was going to be established to the point where it was recognized that the Jews were finally an independent people. Now, we do have the letter that Antiochus wrote, and I'll explain that more in detail in a few minutes. But before I do that, I'd like to proceed from the end of the war and explain what happened after that. The Maccabeans went into Jerusalem, and they reestablished their authority there. They went to the temple, and they began the process of cleansing the temple. They removed all of the idols from the temple. They did their best to cleanse the temple. They disassembled the altar and put the stones aside. They decided to just simply put them aside until a prophet would come and tell them what to do with the stones. They did not know what to do with them. They built a new altar, and then they had to begin the process of putting together the vessels that they would need in order to reinstitute the sacrifices. They no longer had the lampstand, which we refer to as the menorah. They no longer had that. And so they rebuilt new vessels that they could utilize in order to continue the operations of the temple. They did not make these vessels out of gold. I personally believe that they used bronze, but they did not make them out of gold because they did have hope that one day the actual artifacts would be returned to the temple that they would be able to replace these with. And so that was why they used a lesser quality of metal as it is referred to. They did not use gold. 
When they put everything together, they went to go fill the lamp with oil, but they did not have enough oil in order to fill the lamp and keep it burning while they went to go and make new oil so that they could continue the process of continually providing light within the temple. What they did have was one flask of oil that probably was passed down by Matit Yahu, who was the founder of the revolution, the Levitical priest. They put that oil in the lamp, which was enough for one day, and then they initiated the process of making new oil. Now, of course, they could have gotten oil from just about anywhere, but they made the decision that they wanted the kind of oil that was used in the temple, that they wanted the pure oil that the Levitical priesthood was accustomed to using. And so they went to the region known as Tekoa to obtain the olive oil from there. The olive trees in the region of Tekoa produced excellent olives, and yet the trees were never fertilized. And so this is why they decided to get the oil from those trees from the region of Tekoa. What they would do is they would take an olive, they would squeeze out no more than two or three drops from each olive, and then they would continue with the purification process that would take eight days. Now, when they put the one day's worth of oil in the lamp, and then they went to go acquire the new oil, they discovered that on the second day, the lamp was still lit. The oil was still burning. And on the third day, the oil was still burning. And on the fourth day, fifth day, all the way to the eighth day, the oil continued to burn. This was a miracle of God that God caused one day's worth of oil to continue to burn for eight days. That was the miracle. Now, I understand that if you compare that miracle with many other miracles, it probably is not a very significant miracle in terms of magnitude, but what I want you to consider is the fact that God intervened. Now, of course, there was no requirement in the law of Moses that the people go and get this oil in this way using this process. There was no requirement in the Mosaic law. The law did require pure oil, but he didn't give all of these instructions with regards to how to acquire it. They could have acquired it in another way, in such a way that they could have provided the oil for the second day and provided light in the temple. But the Lord responded, And he recognized their efforts, and he recognized what they had accomplished, and so he intervened. And this was a way for him to say to the people that he was with them, that he was still with them, and that he recognized what they had accomplished in his name. So from that day forward, every year, the Jews would remember these events, everything that took place, that The Jewish people were about to be totally exterminated, but they stood up, fought back, through war and through the direct intervention of the living God, they succeeded and the Jewish people survived. Now, there were many battles that took place after this. Many battles continued to go on for several years until Israel was officially recognized as an independent people, until the Jews were able to establish themselves as a new and sovereign country. Now, the way that they did this was by establishing embassies in the surrounding countries. That's how they accomplished this. 
They sent out ambassadors who established embassies in the surrounding countries, and in this way, the other governments eventually recognized them as an independent people. The Romans, of course, asserted authority over them later, but they were recognized as an independent people through the establishment of embassies. And what's important to see here is not the idea of establishing embassies and being set up as an independent country for a short period of time. What I want you to understand is that when they did this, word got out. Word got out concerning what happened especially because of the testimony of Antiochus IV. The testimony of Antiochus IV was testimony that there is a true and living God. And so these ambassadors went out into these surrounding countries and brought the testimony of Antiochus IV that they were God's people, that there is a true and living God. And when the testimony of Antiochus IV proclaimed that he would consider becoming a Jew, there were other people in the surrounding nations who considered becoming Jews themselves, that maybe this is the true God and that they should be converted to Judaism. So this was the beginning of a new movement of people who decided to convert to Judaism who were not Jews. They decided to convert to Judaism because of the testimony of Antiochus IV and because of the events that took place. And so the ambassadors sent word back to Jerusalem asking for rabbis who would go into the surrounding nations and establish synagogues, Jewish communities, so that people could convert to Judaism and become a part of the nation of Israel in that way. Synagogues were established and the process of conversion from being a Gentile to being a Jew was established. It was established by the Pharisees at this time in history to respond to the demand of many Gentiles wanting to become Jews. And so they established the criteria of conversion which was that the Gentiles would have to commit themselves to the law of Moses, they would have to be circumcised if applicable, and it was at this time that baptism was instituted as part of the conversion process, the ritual cleansing that would be observed by a witness in order to ensure that this was done properly and in order to provide a witness to testify on behalf of the individual in the event that there was ever any question about whether or not this person had truly committed themselves to become a Jew, a follower of Moses. This is the history of baptism. Now, the testimony of Antiochus was used by the Jews in order to assert their independence in this way, and his testimony is found in Second Maccabees chapter 9, beginning in verse 12. And I'm going to read through this because I know that there are not very many people who have access to this. Beginning in 2 Maccabees chapter 9, verse 12, it says, And when he himself could not abide his own smell, talking about Antiochus as he was so sick, he said these words, It is meet to be subject unto God, and that a man that is mortal should not proudly think of himself if he were God. This wicked person vowed also unto the Lord, who now no more would have mercy upon him, saying thus, 
that the holy city to the which he was going in haste to lay it even with the ground and to make it a common burying place, he would set at liberty and as touching the Jews whom he had judged not worthy so much as to be buried, but to be cast out with their children to be devoured of the fowls and wild beasts, he would make them all equals to the citizens of Athens, and the holy temple, which before he had spoiled, he would garnish with goodly gifts and restore all the holy vessels, with many more, and out of his own revenue, defray the charges belonging to the sacrifices." Yea, that also he would become a Jew himself, and go through all the world that was inhabited, and declare the power of God. And then it continues from there. And so I want you to see that Antiochus IV was the one who truly inspired the Gentiles to convert to Judaism through his testimony. This is the end of the series of programs that I have produced on the subject of Hanukkah. The follow-up series to these programs are the programs that I produced on the subject of baptism, and then I would encourage you to go through the verse-by-verse study that I did on the book of Acts. One more thing I would like to mention concerning the subject, though, is that this gives us evidence that our God is an active participant in our lives. But according to Greek philosophy, this is not possible. I want you to consider the fact that the Jews not only fought to continue their devotion to the law of Moses and to the God of Israel, but they also fought not to embrace the philosophies of the Greeks. Unfortunately, the philosophies of the Greeks have in many ways been incorporated within Christianity. And I'm not referring to holidays or activities or what people do. I'm referring to what people believe about their God. Because there are many people who do not believe that God is an active participant in our lives or that we are an active participant in what he is doing either. This is a philosophy that the Jews died to oppose. And so give some consideration to this in your own faith. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. 